So we again, we've been going through series, looking at books as a whole and what they can mean, how we can read them, what we can get out of them today. We're looking at the next book, which is the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is interesting because huh, it's really short. And you almost we almost could read the whole thing just in this sitting and then talk about it. That's how short it is. It's only four chapters, and the chapters themselves are not long. Um, but it's a book that has a profound influence on a lot of people and a book that's talked about a lot. So we'll turn to Ruth. A couple of years ago, um, we walked out into our living room at our house in our kitchen. We noticed some little bitty tiny centipedes. They're probably about this big that were crawling around on the ground. And, you know, of course, you don't like any bug in your house, but seeing more than one was kind of interesting. And then we looked out our front window. And I think some people uh, like Sammy, who was, you know, worked with us in the pastorium, might know this. We looked out our front window and there was hundreds of them on our porch. Little tiny centipedes this big crawling over. So we went to war on these things. We did everything possible to make it the most inhospitable environment for these tiny little centipedes to live in. I mean, we sprayed the grass, we sprayed the flowers, we sprayed, sprayed the mulch, we put beads down, we uh, sprayed the doorstep, we called pest control, got them to spray stuff around the house. I mean, we put so much pesticide out there, it's a, it's a wonder everything didn't just die out there. And slowly as the summer went on, you know, sure enough, the numbers went down in the summer. And as we entered fall, we didn't hardly see any at all. And then, of course, winter hit, and they were completely gone. And we're like, good news. And then spring started to hit. And the days got longer, and things warmed up. And we woke up one morning, and we walked out to our living room, and there was little millipede again. Little tiny men of feet, and they were all over our porch again. And I got to tell you, I'm almost impressed by these things. That despite all of the adversity that we poured out on them, and despite the fact that they went so low in numbers in winter that it didn't matter, they still were able to come back with force when springtime came. And of course, it's gotten better. Uh, that first, that I think it was the first summer was the worst, and it's been better since then. Uh, but I'm almost impressed by these little centipedes at this point, these centipedes, and kind of expected them at this point from crawling on our porch. When you look at the book of Ruth, those little millipedes remind me of what's happening in Ruth. You can't read the book of Ruth separated from the book of Judges. We talked about that a little bit last week. In the book of Judges, things are terrible, if you remember. I mean, just awful. The people have turned away from God. And as a result, God has basically removed his protection from them and let all kinds of stuff happen in Israel because they're not following God. You know, they're fighting each other countries. They're fighting each other. It's just bad. And not just the nation, but even the leaders are horrible. And we talked about this. The judges themselves, who were the leaders of the nation during that time, they were not the greatest people. They were not spiritual highlights they were not moral superior people especially as you go toward the end even they are really not great even though god is using them so you get to the end of the book of judges and it's like a spiritual and moral winter 
It's a spiritual and moral winter for the country, and it's also a spiritual and moral winter for the people as they live there. And you can kind of ask the question, you know, is there even anybody who's actually worshiping God in such an inhospitable environment? With all the, the pesticide of this immorality and pagan worship, how is the worship of God actually survived? And that's where you get the book of Ruth. Ruth answers that question. It's Ruth is the spring after the winter of judges. It's the breath of fresh air after you get through something that's just horribly dark and um, putrid. And so Ruth tells a story, and um, it's a story about a, a young woman who is married to a man, and he dies. And instead of abandoning her mother-in-law, she decides to go and go with her mother-in-law back to Israel. The problem at the time, this is where you got to realize the culture, is that women in that time couldn't support themselves easily. They couldn't get jobs easily. They were really dependent on husbands, fathers, or sons to be supportive for them. So somebody who has no father, no husband, and no son, like Ruth did, and Naomi, her mother-in-law, they were destined to be poor. And so the book of Ruth explores this relationship between these two women and also explores how God is going to save them or redeem them and find a way to provide for them because they are faithful to God when so many people in the book of Judges are not. And so my hope as we look at Ruth is one for us to look at it and despite all of the Israelite ceremonies that are in it, if you've ever read Ruth, or some of the interesting Israelite laws that we see inside the book of Ruth, that it still has a lot of lessons for us today, and it can still provide hope for us today because we can have times where we go through seasons of spiritual and moral winter too. And the question becomes, how can we find hope when we're going through that spiritual and moral winter? And Ruth can provide us with that hope, this tiny book of Ruth. So just to let you know a little bit about it, um, no, we don't know who wrote Ruth, and we don't even really know when it was written, even though um, most people assume, most of us assume it was written probably close to the judge's period, but after David was born, because it, it mentions in David at the end of the book of Ruth. The other thing that's interesting about Ruth is we don't even agree on where it's supposed to go in the Bible. English Bibles have Ruth right after Judges because uh, following the old Greek translation as a way to comment on the book of Judges. But the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew Old Testament, puts Ruth after Proverbs. Now, does anybody remember what Proverbs 31, the last chapter in Proverbs, is about? What's it about? The godly woman. So the Hebrew people actually put it at the end after Proverbs as almost like an example or illustration of what Proverbs 31 is, which is pretty neat to think of it that way, as an illustration of Proverbs 31. And like I said, it follows an Israelite mother-in-law, Naomi, and a Moabite named Ruth. Now, Ruth is not an Israelite. Moabite was somebody that lived nearby. If you remember the stories of Abraham and Lot, Moabites came from Lot. Um, but even though Ruth is not an Israelite, she displays more faith in God than the Israelites in the book of Judges. 
fact, she displays more faith in God than the judges in the book of Judges do. And that's what's truly amazing. So, my first question, you guys, is uh, what do you think the book of Ruth, if, you, if you've read it before, if you've studied it, um, what are some things that you think the book of Ruth teaches us today as Christians? Is made because God is going to take care of us. Yeah, it's a good one. It's definitely one of the lessons from Luke Ruth. Have any of y'all ever done a study through Ruth, just out of curiosity? It's short, so a lot of times people do study through it. We have several years ago. Yeah. It's usually a popular, especially women's Bible study. Cool. Well, we got some things we're going to look at. And then after we talk about what the, the book teaches us, I want us to talk about this one really weird part that happens in chapter three. And I want to make sure we have time for that because it is odd for us when we read it. So the first thing it teaches us, the book of Ruth, is the importance of being faithful to God. And I kind of touched on that already. But the keynote in the book of Ruth is Ruth chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. So who wants Ruth 1, 14 through 18? This is when Naomi told Ruth to leave her, and Ruth is telling Naomi, no, I want to come back with you, dude. Who wants that? Sammy? 14 through 18. Yes. This day. At this, they wept again, and over kissed her mother-in-law goodbye and Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people for God. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to come back. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do with me. So that those five verses are key to understanding the rest of the book of Ruth because it shows Ruth's faithfulness to God. This lady who grew up not an Israelite, that a lot of Israelites probably would say she couldn't be a part of God's people. She demonstrates more of a desire to follow not just Naomi, but to follow the God of Naomi than people did anywhere else in Judges. And so this idea of the importance of being faithful to God comes up over and over and over again. It appears there. Eventually they meet Boaz, who is uh, who will become Ruth's husband. And Boaz is the same way in the way that he greets people in chapter 2 and the way that he allowed Ruth to come and pick from his field. Um, in Ruth in chapter two, the way that he treated uh, other the women and the other orphans and other widows that were behind him, he demonstrated his willingness and his willingness to follow God, and that becomes important when you see the second lesson, and that is the book of Ruth teaches, as Noah saying, that people who follow God faithfully, God is faithful back to them. When you look at the book of Ruth compared to Judges. It, the contrast is great. 
Because in, all you see in Judges is unfaithfulness to God, unfaithfulness to God, unfaithfulness to God, and God removing his hand from him. God taking away stuff from him. God allowing hardships to come to him. And Ruth, what you see is even though you have a hardship that comes at the beginning, because they remain faithful to God, you see God working in the background to take care of them. And that comes true of not just Ruth, but it comes true of us. It shows us that even in the immediate, even though God doesn't answer prayers immediately, as we remain faithful to him, he remains faithful to us in every step of the way. And so you get... Um, uh, let's read a couple of verses. Verse 1, chapter 1, 8 through 9. Once chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. Okay. But Naomi said to her two daughters in law, go return each to her mother. And the Lord gave us time to go to the dead. The Lord granted him time to teach me in the house of the husband. And she kissed him and they lifted up their faces. Yeah. So this idea of faithfulness and the Lord's faithfulness on them if they're faithful to him begins at the very beginning of the book and then it ends after Ruth's married. It points it out again in chapter 4 or 14. Who wants 4 or 14? All right, so who gets credit in 414 for Naomi and Ruth's life being taken care of? God. Uh, not Boaz, but God. And so you see not only the importance of being faithful, but the, the fruit of faithfulness in the book of Ruth, especially long-term fruit. Because um, a lot of times we can get, we're like, I've been faithful, but hardship's happening to me. Naomi and Ruth were being faithful, and all their husbands died. They were dirt poor, scrounging from scraps in a harvest field. But in the long term, God had a plan to way to take care of them. That's weird. Two more. Now I want to make sure we get to three because that's very interesting stuff. Uh, the third thing it really shows is what Mel was putting on in. in Chapter four is this idea of somebody being a kinsman redeemer. Kinsman redeemer. The Israelites had some very interesting laws. And you got to understand these laws to get through. One law had to deal with people with the wife, the widow of somebody. You see, the land went to inheritance. They weren't, the Israelites technically weren't allowed to sell land. If you sold land to somebody, you didn't technically sell it. You sold it only for a period of seven years. Then at the year of Jubilee, it returned back to your, your property. So you didn't sell land in Israel. So the way that land went from generation to generation is it went down to kids. Well, that caused a problem if it's the males. That caused a problem if you had no children and you had no husband. Because if the wife died... The land would have no owner at all. And it would just probably be absorbed into somebody else's land. So to prevent that, God created a law 
called a Levite marriage. And it's really weird to us, but it's just the way it worked because the land was given to sons. But essentially, the next brother in line of the dead brother would take the widow as his own wife. And the first child he had with her would be considered the son of his brother and not his own son. And that kid would be the one to inherit all of his brother's property. Now that, if so us, sounds really weird. Like taking my brother's wife, my widow, you know, my dead brother's wife, you know, that kind of is weird to us. And that's just what they did because they were trying to protect the property. Um, and then the other part that was important about this is if somebody had property and they couldn't get it back for some reason when the seven years were over, a relative was supposed to come and, and redeem the land for them. And those two ideas can kind of combine where you have Naomi and Ruth who have no husbands, no sons, and so they have this property, but they have nobody, not only take care of them physically, but nobody to, to have this inheritance afterwards. And when the seven years is up, they have nobody to redeem this property for them, nobody to take it back for them so they can continue to have it. And that's where Boaz comes in and the idea of a kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer takes somebody who's poor, who is lost, who is in sense trapped in their circumstances, and he frees them from that, being because they're kin to him. And that's what Boaz does to Ruth. You know, Ruth is really not a story of love. Ruth is a story of a man named Boaz who's faithful to God to do what God told him to. What's interesting is, as weird as that sounds, to do all that stuff, God in his wisdom set up the idea of a kinsman redeemer for another purpose. And that's because he was illustrating to us what Jesus would do for us. Let me show you. So I get Matthew 1, 5. Let's get I got four passages here. Matthew 1 5. All right, Dan. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. All right, Teresa. Hebrews 2, 14 and 17. So you don't have to do the middle ones, just 14 and 17. Who wants Hebrews 2, 14 and 17? Right, thank you. And first Peter 1, 18 through 19. First Peter 1, 18 through 19. I heard somebody. Okay. So before we said this, let me remind you and set up the situation when it comes to us and Jesus. So we in a lot of ways are like Ruth and Naomi in a spiritual sense. Because heaven is our inheritance. Heaven is the place that God has for us. But because of our sin, we don't have anybody who can redeem it for us. We don't have anybody that can buy heaven for us. We're essentially trapped in the poverty of our sinfulness. And so what we need is somebody who can not only pay the price so we could get our inheritance in heaven, but somebody who also, in a way, is a kinsman that can connect with us in that way. And so we start to see Jesus as being our kinsman redeemer in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. That was Jan. 
the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of his sister. That's fine. There's three women mentioned in Matthew chapter one, and one of those is Ruth. Why do you think that is? Why do you think Matthew included Ruth as one of the only three women he mentioned in that list? And there's a couple of reasons, but why do you think that is? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's one reason she's put in there. By Matthew putting Ruth inside the genealogy as one of the only three women he mentions, he wants us to connect our lives to the book of Ruth. And he's basically saying, hey, what Boaz did for Ruth and Naomi, Jesus is coming to do for us. And then we get questions like, we get parts like Galatians 4, 4 through 7. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. An heir, redeemed. Remember, what did I say the kinsman redeemer was supposed to do with the, the wife of his husband, of her, the wife of his brother, the widow of his brother? Have a child who would have an inheritance. And that's where you get, you say, Jesus, he came, he redeemed us, and he created an ability for us to be adopted into God's family, to have an inheritance, not of some treeless plot of land in Israel, but of heaven. He's our kinsman redeemer. And he's our kinsman redeemer because Jesus decided to become like us instead of remaining like God. Hebrews 2, 14 and 17. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same thing, that through death he might persuade the one who has the power of death, and that is the death. Therefore he had to be made like his brother in every respect, so that he might be some merciful and capable of service of God, to make propitiation to the sins of the people. Yeah. In other words, Jesus stepped out of heaven to become a man. Because that's how he could become our kinsman redeemer. He had to become like us. And then finally, 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. Right. Very good. How did he purchase it now? Was it saying that passage? Purchased blood of Jesus Christ. So in the kinsman redeemer in the Old Testament, obviously you didn't have to die to redeem somebody's land. Somebody, let's read. I'll actually read for us what happened in Ruth chapter 4. Um, so Boaz, he goes to somebody who's actually the closer relative. Uh, and he says, hey, Naomi goes, come back from the land of Noah has to sell the piece of land which belongs to our brother, Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, hey, buy it before those who are sitting here, before the elders of my people. This is chapter 4, verse 4. 
if you will redeem it, redeem it now. But if not, tell me so that I, Boaz, may know there's no one but you to redeem it, and I'm after you. And the closer relative said, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz said, oh, by the way, on the day you buy the land from the hand of Naomi, you also have to acquire Ruth the Moabitess, who's the widow of the deceased man, in order to raise up the name of the deceased man on his own inheritance. And the closest relative said, oh, I can't redeem it because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. You redeem it for yourself, Boaz. You might have a right of redemption for I can't redeem it. And then it says in verse 7, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption exchange of land. A man removes his sandal and he gives it to another. And this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So both the man, the closer relative who goes unnamed, what did he have to give? What did Boaz, uh, the actual man actually gave Boaz something. What did he give Boaz so that Boaz could have root in the land? His sandal. So the land was exchanged for sandal. That was in the Old Testament, actually. I know, in the book of Leviticus. So Ruth and Naomi, and that inheritance was redeemed with a sandal. How are we redeemed? According to 1 Peter 1.18. The precious blood of Jesus. And that, for us, should be a point of worship. One, to realize how hard it must have been. If you could redeem land with a sandal, think how bad sin has to be that requires the blood of the Son of God to redeem us from it. Land's expensive. I know, you know, some people have just bought land recently in the last few years. Land's expensive. It's a sandal compared to our sins in the precious blood of Jesus. And that should evoke worship from us um, and appreciation for what he did to save us from our sins. Any comments about these? So Ruth talking about the, the need for faithfulness and the importance of following God and the realization that Jesus is our kingdom and redeemer. Any other comments or questions about Ruth before we talk about this one really weird passage I want to talk about today? The Lord took care of her because he did not leave her. Mm -hmm. That's something that's mm -hmm. Yeah. He did. And um, no, Naomi in particular, she was not a happy camper in chapter one. You read Ruth, the end of chapter one. She says, I just want to change my name to bitter. That's what she felt. She felt bitter about it all. She was faithful to God, but she still felt bitter about the whole situation, bitter toward God. But by the end, God, after she saw God took care of her, she changes her tune at the end of chapter four. And it's amazing to watch that character change in Naomi. I believe it said that um, there could be blessings in the midst of bad situations. And then if we focus so much on the bad situation, we can use the good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right.
So with a little bit of time left, there's one passage that is like really hard to understand in Ruth, even though it's only four chapters. And it's Ruth chapter three, verses one through five. But somebody want to read Ruth three, one through five. It's really all of chapter three, but one through five kind of sets it up and it's the hardest part of all chapter three. Who wants to read those five verses? All right, Sam. One day, Naomi, mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, that I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided. Not Boaz, who is servant of the world, you have been. Tonight, you will be winnowing barley, threshing floor, washing, perfume yourself, and put on your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you're there till he is finished. He lies down, knows the place where he is lying. Then go and cover and lie down. He will tell you what. I will do whatever you say. So he went down to the threshing floor and did everything. So, a lot of people um, read those in all of chapter 3, but the requirements are supposed to do and they go, what? Like, this is really weird. So, Ruth gets all dressed up in the middle of the night, goes to Boaz while he's sleeping, and is supposed to lay down at his feet? Like, how is this supposed to be? And so, as you can imagine, there's been a lot of debate over what they're, what's happening here, and there's two theories on what she's doing there's a bad theory that i would highly say is wrong and then there's the better idea so the bad theory is that naomi as she was trying to sell the ruth she wants ruth to have a husband to help take care of her and kids and that kind of stuff and she knows boaz is a kinsman he could be a redeemer because he's a kinsman and so this again this is the bad theory i don't support she tells her, hey, get all dressed up, make yourself look pretty, go down there while he's asleep, and essentially uh, uh, approach him sexually in order to try to convince him to marry you. That, and I don't agree with that theory at all. But people who argue, they point out, they're like, hey, look, one, when at this time, when the people were winnowing barley, the prostitutes knew that the men were sleeping next to the piles and they weren't at home. And in the judges period, remember when they were living here, they were a lot of bad things going on. And so they're like, hey, it was common for prostitutes to come to these men when they're away from home next to these piles and try to do some business while they're away from home. It sounds a lot like what Ruth is doing. They'll point out, hey, look, she's getting all dressed up nice. She's She's taking off these clothes, putting on better clothes, putting on perfume. You know, isn't this something that you would do if you're trying to have some kind of um, sexual war to you? And then even down to uncovering them, like, why would you uncover somebody's lower legs and lay down next to them? If that's not, they would say that that's a sign of uh, favoring for sex. The reality is, this passage is purposefully ambiguous to where Boaz absolutely could have interpreted what Ruth was doing that way. 
Now, I don't think Ruth nor Naomi were purposefully that, that she was going to him to elicit sex. But the person who wrote the book definitely wrote it in a way to say that Boaz might have interpreted it that way. And that becomes part of the tension in that story that part. Is Boaz going to interpret what she's doing as asking for or acting like a prostitute? And if he does, is he going to be immoral? Or is he going to shoo her away because he is a moral human being? In other words, is it going to fail because he's interpreting the signs wrong? What I think is happening is that Ruth is trying to show Boaz that she's ready to get remarried. The other side of the story is that these clothing she's putting on are not the clothing for a prostitute, but that maybe she was wearing the garbs of mourning. And ever since her husband died, she had been wearing these, these clothing that showed that she was still mourning the loss of her husband. And Naomi's telling her, hey, look, you need to take off your clothes of mourning you need to put on some regular clothes as a way of telling people, hey, I'm ready to move on to um, get remarried, to Boaz, to say, hey, I'm ready to get remarried. That she goes to him at night as a way to catch his attention and to essentially be the one to propose to him about getting married. She just take marriage into her yes. When people got married, when people got engaged back then, a lot of times a guy would take his cloak and he would put the cloak or put a blanket over the woman. And that was like a way of saying, hey, I want to marry you. And so by uncovering his feet, and when you read longer in the story, she asks him to spread his cloak over her. She's basically on her knees proposing to him to get married instead of the other way around. And the question and tension becomes, is Boaz going to read that she's a prostitute asking for sex, or is she going to read, he's going to read that she is a faithful widow who's asking the kinsman redeemer to follow the law of God and be faithful to God. And the answer of what I think what Ruth is really doing actually comes in, uh, let's see here, verse 10 and 11. So 10 and 11 it says, Then Boaz said to her, May you be blessed, the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after younger men who are rich or poor. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do whatever you ask. But all the people sitting know that you're a woman of excellence. 10 and 11 is why I think the idea that she is trying to elicit sex from him is horrendously wrong. Because why in the world would Boaz respond? You are awesome. You're showing kindness. He obviously was an older man because he's saying you're showing kindness because you're seeking me to be your husband and somebody your age. And he's saying that everybody knows that you're a woman of excellence. You don't say that to somebody who's acting like a prostitute. And so Boaz gets it. And he has like a light bulb moment. You know, oh, I need to do what the Lord tells me to in the book of Deuteronomy. I need to marry Ruth so my relatives inheritance can take. That's what I think is happening in chapter 3. It's a reverse marriage proposal with Ruth being the one taking the lead. Very confusing. I hope I didn't muddy the water anymore. 
I'm going to clean it up some. Does that make sense, though? He didn't want to know she was there. Did he cover her up? Yeah, so this is the book of Judges. Again, this is during the Judges period. You read the end of the book of Judges, you know that traveling at night is a serious, dangerous no-no. Um, really bad things happen if you travel at night during the Judges period. So he tells her the rest of the chapter to stay with him for protection. Uh, he doesn't want her to get assaulted when she leaves. Um, but he leaves her and tells her to leave early to prevent other people from thinking the wrong way. Um, and he fills her shawl with a bunch of grain uh, trying to help her and show favor to her. But yeah, he does tell her, don't let people know. But I, I think that's why. He knew people would take it the wrong way if they saw her come out early. I mean, uh, early in the morning. Oh, yeah. Um, so, the, pe the people that say that she was trying to act like a prostitute say that a lot of those words are euphemisms. Laying at his feet is a euphemism for something else. So you gotta read it almost the whole chapter is like a double entendre of what's happening on what's happening. So because she already knew if she said to him, Well, you can redeem me, you know, then uh, Naomi would have had to told her that. Yeah. that he's a relative and he can redeem her. And he obviously has already even thought about it because yeah. there's somebody else I'm going to check first. Yeah. Yeah. And we know Naomi thought about it because it said in verses one or two, Sammy read earlier, that she's thinking about it. And, you know, I'm sure Boaz, you know, the people that say that she was taken off her widow's guard, they might argue Boaz knew he could redeem her, but he wasn't, prior to that, wasn't taking those steps because she was still dressed up in her widow's garbs, her dress like she's mourning still the death of her husband. And so he wouldn't approach her about that while she was dressed like she was still mourning. Really interesting little book. It takes no time to read. Really powerful story of God's faithfulness and the transforming of both Naomi and Ruth as they follow God's faithfulness. Really awesome to remember the, the, the picture it has for us in Jesus and a great companion to the book of Judges, if you read the book of Judges. A great way to end that kind of saga in Israel's history and a way for us to have hope in this spiritual winter too. On Naomi, Naomi Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for last week today. And Lord, we're thankful for all that you've shown us. And God, we are thankful that you are a kinsman redeemer, God. That, uh, you didn't leave us in the poverty of our sins, Lord, but you came and sacrificed your life on the cross so that we could be saved and have the inheritance of heaven, Lord. We are so thankful for your willingness to do that knowing that you didn't have to, that was all part of your free will. And Lord, we're 
We just praise you and worship you for all that you've done for us and the stories that you've given us. And I pray you help us to be people who faithfully follow you, God, um, knowing that you are faithful to those who are faithful to you. And that's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Yeah.